Good morning, church. I'm reading from Philippians 4, verses 2 to 9. Exhortation, encouragement, and prayer. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Here ends the reading. Well, good morning. Um, it's good to be with you this morning and uh, to be thinking of you wherever you're sitting. Um, and it's good to be back, being able to share the word with you. For those of you that don't know me, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's been my privilege to... Uh, to be able to be pastoring here for a while and um, enjoying the community. Uh, thanks, Aletta, for our Bible reading. Um, it's really great that we get to uh, see a few different people on the screen being able to share the word with us. And um, yeah, so thank you, Aletta. Thanks for sharing that. Um, how good was last week? I don't know if you caught, I think probably most of you, if you didn't catch it, um, you missed out on a great service, our children's service. We try to do them a couple of times a year and it just was fantastic seeing all the kids up there uh, and um, just seeing the activity. And one of the great things was, was, was Scott's message where, you know, um, he shared a thought and there was a clip and a thought and there was a clip. You know, and I felt a little bit challenged by that and actually I was challenged by my friendly colleague, uh, Joel, uh, sent me a message and said he expected me to do the same, if not better. Um, of course, me not being someone who would sit down to a challenge, but also not being someone that's as into movies as some of the people, I decided that I would get in and watch all of the Lord of the Rings series, I would watch all of the Marvel films, I would watch all of the Chronicles of Narnia, I would watch all the Disney films, I'd catch up on some classics because you've got to have them in there, and I'd have that all done by uh, Monday night because clearly the challenge was that I needed to beat Scott. So Monday night I dragged myself upstairs at the end of that thing. Can't do it. What? I can't be it. But hey, we were blessed with Scott. We are blessed with Scott. And it's so good seeing him lead our kids that way. And, you know, all jokes aside, um, it's really a blessing to see our kids growing in God through that sort of, um, through his ministry 
and um, through the ministry of those that work with him and the team that works with our kids at different levels. So thanks very much, guys. Okay, this morning we're um, coming back into our Philippians series um, and you've probably been watching them and seen them before and you've noticed we've had a couple of weeks break. We had obviously the kids' service last week. We had Keith share a great message with us the week before that. And so we want to step back into the last two in our series of Philippians. And um, we're at the tail end of Paul's letter to the Philippian church. And just to, uh, to, to quickly update you, to remind you that Paul is writing this. He's imprisoned in Rome and he wants to encourage the Christians in Philippi, the church, the fresh church in Philippi. Um, and Philippi is a Roman city, but it's smack in the middle of Greece. And it's tough to be uh, new, fresh Christians. It's tough to be a fresh church uh, in Greece, but also to be a fresh church in a Roman city. Uh, Romans were very, very strong about in, in, in creating their values and their culture in the city. And it was difficult to be a church there. And there was persecution. There was persecution coming from outside. And, and I guess there was persecution coming from inside, people inside the church that were also challenged with those values as well. But we discovered that Paul loves them a lot. He has a special relationship with the church at Philippi. Um, and he, it's, it's kind of like a brotherly love. He, he would really love to be there. We read early on in Philippians that he'd love to be there and visit them. And he actually plans to get there. He wants to get there, but he knows that it might not be possible. So in any case, he wants to encourage them and he wants to, to lift them up because he knows that they're struggling. And there's been so much that he's wanted to say to them and so much that he has said to them. And, and we've seen some of them, haven't we? There's been reminders and encouragements and practical advice and challenges and, and sharing concerns with them and really loving them and really expressing his love for them as well. But by far, what he stresses more than all is to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the good news of great joy, the gospel. He wants them to know more than anything that the gospel is good news of great joy and that that needs to be their driving force, their catalyzer. And whilst there's lots of things that he talks about and lots of important things, having joy and rejoicing are front and centre. And this is his major theme in Philippians. And we've talked about that in a couple of our messages, haven't we? We've, we've shared with you that he talks, he uses rejoice and joy more than in any other book. And the interesting thing is he uses himself and he speaks of his own great joy in the gospel, which is all the more impressive considering where he is when he's saying that and where he's been before when he said that. He's in prison. And when, he, when you reflect on some of the things that Paul's experienced, it's all the more impressive that for him, having joy in the good news of the gospel is so important. And that he says that he does have, that he genuinely does have, and, and we feel that in his words too, don't we? So again now, towards the end of Paul's letter to the Philippian church, he says it again, doesn't he? He says in, in verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say, rejoice. And perhaps it's a bit strategic here, given that just before that, if you notice the verses just before that, he's talked about a disagreement. We we don't really know what or why that disagreement happened or what it was all about. But maybe Paul's cure for disagreements is 
to rejoice in the Lord always. Maybe he's being really strategic by saying that right after explaining or encourage them to sort out their differences. You see, people who are happy, especially happy in the Lord, are less likely to take offence or to give offence. They're less likely to be troubled by small things and issues, aren't they? When they're they're joyful in the Lord, they're less likely to be offended. Charles Spurgeon said this, he said that joy in the Lord is the cure for all discord. Think about that. Joy in the Lord is the cure for all discord. Don't just think about the church. Think about the world that we live in. Think about some of the stuff we're reading in the papers now. That really makes me reflect. And he says, and be reasonable. Let your reasonableness... You know, it's reasonableness in here and some of the other... um, uh, Some of the other... uh, Some like in the NIV and some of the other versions of the Bible, they use the word gentleness. You know, let your gentleness be shown to all. And the word there in the original, the word has a whole lot of meanings. This reasonableness or gentleness means patience, softness, modesty, uh, forbearance, yielding and clemency. There's a whole legal thing there, this unwilling to litigate, so not willing to make someone pay for something. And interesting, that same root word is used in that story when the woman's caught in adultery and was brought to Jesus. A sense of reasonableness and gentleness is, has all those sorts of emphases. So you can see that he's sort of saying, you know, guys, your reasonableness needs to actually affect the way that you want to interact with each other. What might happen in our churches or in our families or in our workplaces or in our social settings or wherever, what might happen if we were to rejoice in the Lord more and have joy? Could there be some positive changes? Could our... Join the Lord and rejoicing in the Lord, could that change the way that we see other people? Could it make us more reasonable or gentle? A great thing to ponder, isn't it? But from here, Paul goes on to encourage the church in what I would say is perhaps a little bit more of an, an inner, inner life, a personal way. He spent a lot of time <clears throat> on what to do, uh, how to think how to remember, how to be wary, how to protect themselves and the church, how to uh, promote the gospel, what sort of actions to take, uh, examples to follow. And and we've seen a lot of that stuff. He spent a lot of time talking to the church about that. But now he spends time talking about the the inner life. And of course that has an effect on, on, on all that other stuff, all those other things. But in these words, there's this real sense of brotherly love. A real sense of concern in his words. He wants to equip them against flagging, against getting tired, um, against failing and falling through the cracks and, and being overcome. And he wants to do that with just not another set of practical imperatives. He wants to lovingly show them how to do that. And I think that these words today are for us too. That Paul is encouraging us that he's loving us, that he's acknowledging the reality of our inner lives, my inner life, your inner life as well. You see, Paul knows that the enemy of rejoicing is anxiety. And I think that we know that too, don't we? I do. I know that it's really hard when I'm anxious, when I'm worrying about things, when things are going on, it's really hard for me to have joy in the Lord. 
I get so overwhelmed with myself and with my own situation that I forget to have joy in the Lord. I don't, I don't feel free to do that. <clears throat> and my joy gets robbed. And not only don't I have joy in the Lord, I, I don't have joy in, in other people that the Lord has given me or other situations. I don't know what's it like, what that's like for you, but that's what it's like for me. There is so much that robs our joy. There is so much anxiety in our world. And if we're honest, it creeps into all of our lives, doesn't it? There's a lot going on. Do you find it hard to hang on to or to have joy? Is peace a little bit more elusive than you'd like? Um, for me, that can be the case, as I was just sharing. You know, uh, um, it feels like sometimes you're going from one thing to the other. You know, things are hard and stressful, and, and then you get sick or, or something happens. And it seems like peace and, and joy are just elusive, aren't they? Because we're constantly battling the things that are attacking us from outside or from inside. You see, the fertile ground for joy in the Lord is peace. The fertile ground for joy in the Lord is peace. And Paul knows that. And Paul is clear about where that comes from. What they here and we can do. Paul's clear about what we can do to stand against the anxious challenges and to know peace, that kind of peace that he's talking about and that you and I all want. You see, I believe that today that this word is a word in season for us. I really think it is for me right now. It's not new. It's not complicated. But it is transforming and it is incredibly loving. I believe that we need this word today. I know that I need this word today. And, and even this week as I've been looking at it, it's been a word in season for me. Paul shows us three ways to restore and maintain peace. He, he's talking to them and he's showing them three ways to, to restore and to maintain uh, peace. How we will know the peace of God and how the God of peace will be with us. You know, what we have here is a, a, really a set of loving instructions. The first thing he says is to pray. Talk to God. You know, he, he kicks it off with that. You know, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Talk to God. Pray. Don't be anxious, but in everything. Did you see that? He said, Everything. There are not some areas of our lives that are of no concern to God. Do you ever feel like that? I sometimes feel like the things that concern me or worry me or sometimes even scare me are too trivial. And, you know, to be honest, sometimes I think they're even a little bit embarrassing. But they get room in my heart and mind and they steal joy. Could that be true for you as well? Do you think sometimes the things that are in your heart or things that are making you anxious or things that you're worrying about are perhaps too trivial, are not godly things, or maybe they're a little bit embarrassing and maybe no one, you know, you know, how the, you get that thought, well, nobody else would worry about that. That's just me. But Paul says in everything, not just the noble things, not just the adult things, not just the, the things that 
you would be willing to share. And he says to do it with thanksgiving. And that's, there's a really important tip there, isn't there? Because this guards us against whining or having a complaining spirit. And also, as I was thinking about that, thanksgiving reminds me of the character and power of God too, doesn't it? If I'm giving him thanks for who he is, if I'm expressing gratitude and I'm doing it with thanksgiving, it's reminding me, just like uh, when Joel read that, that psalm to us before where, where David was struggling so much with his life, but you notice at the end of that psalm how he, he, he thanks God for who he, does, who he is and he reminds himself, because when we do that, then we have the confidence to ask. We have the confidence to make our request known to God, don't we? And when we do that, have a look what Paul says. He doesn't say, what he doesn't say is, then God will jump into action and begin attacking your problems. He will fix them and that will lead you to peace. It doesn't say that there at all, does it? Now he goes on to say, then the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind. And that word guard is actually a military word. It's actually an offensive military word that's in the original language. It's active and dynamic. So the peace of God isn't just some kumbaya feeling that we all get once we make our requests known to God or that you get. But God's peace sets itself up as a guard to block anxiety, to block fear, to block worry. So that it no longer owns us, as it so often does, and it can't rob our joy. You see, God's peace sets sets itself up as a guard over our hearts and minds. You see, prayer, you and I know this, and, and it's been my experience and it's probably been yours. Maybe it's your experience now. Prayer doesn't always change the situation, does it? Paul doesn't say that. He doesn't say... But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the situation will change for the better. That's not in there. That's not what the peace of God is all about. It's the peace of God in the situation that you're in, isn't it? Prayer doesn't always change the situation. But praying to God, the peace that transcends all understanding, it's above all understanding, comes into the situation that you're on, in. And when that happens, you are less anxious about things. And the situation may not change, but you're less anxious and less worrying. An example of that is that it's a tiny little example and it's almost a trivial to anybody else but a grandfather like me. You know, most of you know, if not all of you know, that you know, four to six weeks ago, and that's the grandfather thing, I don't even know how old my, my newest grandson is. Four to six weeks ago, I, I got a new grandson. There's nothing more that, that we would like, that, to, that I would like, is to go and see him, to hold him, to whatever. But we can't, because Western Australia is closed, and, and our grandson lives in Western Australia. And so when it first started, I'm, on the, I'm, I'm looking at the news um, every day, 10 times a day to see what's happening with the Western Australian border. And I'm complaining that we can't go to Western Australia, we can't do this, and oh, that's so bad that, you know, and I'm realising that it's actually capturing me, that I'm getting anxious about it. I keep looking at the news and hearing, is there an update? I'm getting angry at the Premier of WA, like I don't like him anymore. And, um, and I'm getting anxious, and it robs my joy. 
It's a tiny little example, isn't it? But then we prayed about it. So when I prayed about it, I prayed about it, I spent some time and I thought, I can't change anything, but I need to seek God's peace. Now, it hasn't changed the situation. I still can't go and see my grandson. And I still would really like to, but I'm not anxious about it anymore. It's not owning me. It's not, you know, and that's such a little thing, but we all have those sorts of things in our lives, don't we? We have those. But Paul doesn't say prayer changes things. He says that God's peace will come in to the situation. And he will walk through you with it. He will guard your heart and mind. Can you identify any of those sorts of things in your life? You see, that's what you and I need. Not just peace that strokes us and makes us feel better in the storm. It does do that. But we need a peace that guards us, that repels the enemy, that that stymies the fear and worry, and that is with us in the situation that we find ourselves in. And only the peace of God can do that. Only the peace of God. And Paul knows that. And you and I can know that too. It's a peace that's on guard over and protecting our hearts and minds. That fertile place for joy. Remember that when there's peace in our hearts and minds, then our hearts and minds can be fixed on joy and rejoicing in God. That's a gold message, isn't it? Right there. If I stop there, you've had enough for today. But wait, there's more. So that's what Paul tells the Philippian church to start with. In all their persecution and in all the struggle, both inside of them and from the outside, this is where you begin to deal with anxiety and the panic and the things that are attacking you. This is how you keep joy in the Lord. It's a great place to start and it's the best place to start for you and I as well. To lift up our heads and our hearts Talk to our loving and all-powerful God about everything to bring a peace that stands guard over our hearts and minds and that abides with us, that is with us right where we are so that we can find joy. But Paul doesn't stop there. He's encouraged them with that and he says, you know, pray, talk to God about everything. But then he says, and this is our second point, he says, focus on what is good. Whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellent, anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, think about those things. You know, we know that the Bible often tells us about all this, do those things. And we have sermons where we think, you know, do what's true, do the honourable, do, you know, do justice and, and stay pure and... Um, And they're good messages. But now he's saying, think about those things. In Paul's letter, it's clear that there are distractions for the church in Philippi. Things aren't good, and there's things that compete for the attention and the mind and the focus of the Philippian church. And we even saw that in verse 2, didn't we, right at the start, with this, this little bit of a dispute between two ladies there. And we've seen it as we've been through these sermons. We've seen more. We've seen him use words like dogs, evildoers, opponents, rivalries. And Paul is not, um, not unaware of the, of the situation that they're in, that, that they are really under challenge a lot of the time, that things are not good. And these things have created anxiety and stolen their peace. And consequently, it's made them hard to do the thing that Paul's been shouting throughout Philippians to rejoice. They're not. And they're finding it hard because they're struggling, rejoicing the good news. 
And when you love someone and you see them struggling, you want to help them. And this is what Paul's doing. So he wants them to focus on, to, to ponder and think about good things. This is so true for us as well. It's so true for me. It even seems too simple, doesn't it? I tried to look into all those descriptive words, honourable, true, just, pure, lovely. I tried to go back to the original text and find out, you know what you do, you look in the original language, looking for some profound, deep meaning or deep, mysterious way to look at those words and to see what Paul was saying. Maybe there was a double or a, a hidden meaning or an extra meaning that would just pop and make those words really pop. But guess what? There isn't. For once, Paul isn't being cryptic. He just means what he says. Ponder the good stuff. Think about the noble stuff. Think about the truth. Remind yourself of that. Think about these things because it'll change your countenance. It'll change your thought pathways. It'll change your mind pictures. Have you ever experienced that when you think about positive things, your, your mind pictures, that movie that runs in your head or... The thought pathways, the things you think about, change. And he said that to them because it actually works. For example, have you ever been around an infectious laugh? Have you ever got on the internet and you have those little clips of some little baby just giggling and giggling and giggling? Tell me you don't start laughing at that. Tell me that you don't smile at that at least. Have you ever made a list of all the good things in your life? Have you ever sat down with a pen and paper and you wrote down all the great things in your life? Not, not thinking there's nothing wrong, but just write all the good things in your life and, and the things that you're grateful for. Doesn't that change all of a sudden even the way that you feel and you see things? Have you ever looked at a stunning sunrise or a sunset or the ocean waves rolling in? Or if you're into the forest, just at the forest and just looked at it it works. Paul said it because it works. Think about those things. Whatever is honourable, what is noble, whatever is good. And here's something. What could be more true, more noble, more loving, more honourable, more just, or more excellent and worthy of pondering and praise than the good news of the gospel? Salvation. When you think about it, think about good things. Think about salvation. Think about what God did for you. And it's, it's between the lines of what Paul's saying. Think about this good news of great joy. Paul has said so much about the great news of salvation, the gift, the privilege and the joy. So there are lots of things that the, the Philippians could ponder that are noble and excellent. And lots of things that you and I could Things that would bring us peace and restore our joy. But the greatest is one that we didn't even have to go looking for first. Because our God of peace came to us first. He broke the power of sin and death. Broke the power of fear and anxiety to restore our peace. Now it makes sense why in Isaiah he's called the Prince of Peace. That's what it's all about. Think about these things that will transform your mind and renew you. You know where Romans talks about you know, the renewal of our minds, the transforming of our minds. In that place, the God of peace meets you. He'll be with you and joy begins to take root in our hearts. 
And what's the third thing that Paul says? Well, he's actually said it before. We've actually preached on it even in this series. He said it earlier. Imitate me. Do like I do. Practice being godly, if you like. He says, whatever you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Simply said, follow me as I follow Jesus. What you've seen and heard in me, what I've said to you, what you've seen me do, do the same. So what were those things? What has Paul been saying? And, and let's go back to some of the sermons that we've been listening to. Um, proclaim Christ. Have the gospel as central. The most important thing is the gospel. Live like worthy citizens of heaven. Reflect Jesus. Be humble like Christ. Shine as lights in a broken world. Pointing to Jesus. Press on for the prize. All these things he's been saying. You know, Do like I do. Live like I live. In the ESV, it uses the word practice. It says, what you've learnt and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. I like it. I like that they use the word practice. I like it in two ways. There's two ways we can see that. The first is that, I, that it means that I can get better at it, doesn't it? It means that if I practice, I can get better at it. It's possible. You know, and my old joke that I always pull out is the whole tennis thing. If you want to get better at tennis, what have you got to do? Practice. So when Paul uses that word, it says to me, so I can get better at this if I practice it. But there's another way to look at it. Practice is not only what we do to get better. It's to do or to carry out what we're taught to do. What we know is good and what we know affects the world around us. Think about um, someone that's a doctor. They don't say that I, you know, I, I'm doing doctor. I practice medicine. Now, you can either be confident in your doctor, you can sort of say, well, can I have one that's already qualified instead of having one that's going to practice on me? But it's the saying, I practice medicine or I practice law. It's I'm doing what I know I've been taught to do, what someone's taught me to do, and I'm continuing to do it for good because it's good. And we use phrases like my usual practice is. My usual practice is, in my, in my instance, my usual practice is to go to the gym every morning. I'm not going to try to learn how to go to the gym better. It's my usual practice. I'm doing what's good. And it's also, when we practice what, uh, what Paul shows us and what we've learned, it's also one of the ways that I can shift my mind's patterns and my life's efforts. I can practice saying and doing the things that I learn in the Word from God, and that will shift my focus too. An example of that in my life is many years ago, I complained to a, an older pastor and I said, you know, I, I don't know about this God thing. I, I, I get doubts and um, I don't feel God. I don't, experience him. I don't experience Him. I don't, you know, I read the Bible and I pray and I go to youth group and I do all those things, but I don't really experience God. And he simply said to me once, he said, do you know what? Just get about doing what God told you to do. Get about doing what the Word says to do. Just go and help the needy. Go and do something. Serve. And you'll experience God. And it really was true. When I got busy doing what God, what I'd been shown to do, I began to see and experience God. Paul is basically saying, just get on with doing the things that I've been sharing with you and doing myself and the God of peace. He says that at the end, doesn't he? 
and the God of peace will be with you. Not might be with you, you know, if you do enough of it, eventually he'll be with you. He says the God of peace will be with you because that's where he is. God is where he said we should be. And that's where he can be found. And the good news of great joy is that we can do that. We can do that because he's opened the way for us to be with him. There's nothing that separates us. You know, we going back to our Romans series. We can work in the presence of God because now we're with him. Practice the things you learn. Practice the things you read. Practice the things that you hear. The way that you know God wants you to live your life. And for who and for what. So if joy and rejoicing in the Lord is Paul's constant exhortation and encouragement, it's for a really good reason. If this is what Paul is on about, we can pretty much know that there's a really good reason for that. We know that for Paul there's nothing more important than the gospel. Getting it right, understanding it, and getting it out there and spreading it. Nothing more important for Paul than, than the gospel, the purity of the gospel, and getting it out there, getting, making sure others hear it. So we see it again here, that anything that gets in the way, and in this case it's anxiety, or fear, or panic, or confusion, anything that gets in the way of that gospel getting out, and remember that it takes joy. Joy is the fuel for the vehicle of the gospel. You know, if we're the vehicle of the gospel, if we're the vehicle that, that God is going to use to get the gospel out, then joy is the fuel. If we don't have joy, it's not going to get out. And so Paul is very consistent in his thinking, isn't he? This, if this gets in the way of the gospel, we've got to deal with that. And he's going to show us, and he has shown us a way to deal with that. So that the gospel takes deep root in our own hearts and then it goes out from us. And, and that's his mission and that is our mission. You know, peace isn't some magical thing that's achieved by waving a wand or repeating a phrase. It comes by pressing into God, by asking God, talking to God, prayer, by focusing on the right and good things and practicing the way of Jesus. You know, peace also isn't a, a glee card to enhance your life as you wait for glory. You know, I want the peace so that I can sit here and, and wait for my Lord to come and take me away. It's a foundation or it's the fertile soil for the good news of great joy to fill you right where you are, in the situation, the place where you're in, and then to spread through you to a broken world. Paul wanted the Philippian church not just to, to be safe and to be happy and, and to not have any of those little arguments. and to, he wanted, His vision for the church was so much greater than that. He wanted to grow and expand way beyond Philippi to dominate the values and truths of the world they live in. Not the Roman values, but to dominate the values and truth. And in through faithful following, practice following the way of God, being fueled by joy. You know, in the end, our greatest joy, my greatest joy, your greatest joy, will be to live in eternity in fellowship with our Father in heaven. And that's the kind of joy Jesus is. Hebrews 2, 12, I think 12 verse 2 says that, that um, Jesus, it was joy that motivated Jesus to enjoy that. He, he went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. And that seems like a really... Really? You go to the cross for joy? 
But the joy that Jesus had in mind was the joy of knowing that we would all be together as a family, that we would be with him in heaven. That kind of joy motivated him. That's the joy of the gospel. That joy enabled him to endure the cross for us. The joy that we would be with him forever. That's really great news or good news of great joy. Now, how encouraging is this word? How encouraging is our God? You know, just preparing this has been really encouraging for me. Just recognising so much of the stuff that's in my life at the moment. And I hope it encouraged you as well. You know, you and I can know the peace of God. We can have the peace of God with us right where we are. You know, I know that we all have things. I have them, you have them. I know that we all have things that rob our peace and that steal our joy. Especially in this time, and perhaps even more so, there are things that challenge us. But those of us that know Jesus can press in, can press into God, can can ponder on those noble things and, and think about the good things and allow those things, allow God to change our thought lives. But maybe you don't know Jesus and maybe you don't know this kind of peace. Can I encourage you to talk to someone, get in contact with us, whatever, to know this Jesus, to know this peace. There is nothing that the world, that I need more, that you need more than this peace. And that becomes a joy. that You can live your life with joy. You know, for all of us, I, you know, for all of us watching and for the One Hope people, you know, my challenge or my encouragement for this week is try to practice those three things. Try to, you know, I started doing it this week and I know it's a little bit mechanical, but I started just practicing those things, praying and asking God for all the things, for everything, bringing everything to him and then spending some time just thinking about really good things, God things, but even just some good things that God's given me in my life or that he's created around me. Because my tendency is to think about all the bad things and things that are going wrong. And then just asking myself, asking God to show me how can I practice doing the things that he told me. Let me encourage you to try doing those three things. I'd love to hear back. And I can almost guarantee you that peace will creep back in. And when peace is in there, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Corny, but it is our strength. Open your eyes to see that God has done everything necessary for us to know that peace, the peace of God, and for us to have the God of peace with us right where we are. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that your word does more than just challenge us out of our place, but it also encourages us right where we are. That we don't just know a God that has a list of requirements or needs us to do things or wants us to do things. But we have a God that loves us intently and wants to bring peace into our lives. Wants us to have joy in the knowledge of who we are, of who you are, God. And how much, uh, how, what a privilege it is to be able to live that life with you. God, we thank you for this word in season. Lord, I thank you for myself for this word that, um, that there are so many things in my life that would, would creep in and make me anxious or worry or, or, um, and that, that would distract me from you. 
And Lord, I pray for every one of us. Lord, I know that that's true for so many of us. And I thank you, Lord, that it doesn't have to be that way. That you're waiting to hear us. That you're waiting to remind us of who you are and what you've done. And you're waiting to release that joy. Joy of that good news. Lord, that we can rejoice in the fact that we belong to you, that we're your children, and nothing ever is going to change that. And Lord, I pray for us that are struggling right now. I pray for those of us that are really struggling, and struggling with uh, issues in our lives, things that we can't seem to, to figure out how to get around or how to get through, or things that we maybe have to need to go through right now. God, would you come as a God of peace in the midst of that? Would you guard our hearts and minds so that despite our situation, we would be able to rejoice in you? We praise you, God, for who you are and we give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.